the beginning, the success of his show is intoxicating to Fergus. He's taken a huge risk telling weird beings from across time and space his, like, sad little life. And the fact that other intelligent beings are interested in him and the version of Earth that he comes from and the sort of tragedy of it all is really, really encouraging and frightening and... I mean, Fergus probably goes a little mad with happiness at first. So much so that when the Yeti man with the pince-nez criticizes his show as being a bit shallow, he doesn't immediately set out to get revenge. He, <laughs> he, uh, he's able to let it go for a period of time. He just files it away for later. Because the idea that this deeply heartfelt thing that he worked on for who knows how long is in any way shallow is like deeply insulting. <laughs> so he like he's just like, it's okay. I I don't have a body, I don't have nerves, I don't have guts or intestines, so I can't get upset. When he finishes the run, he does a, a very purposeful number of shows. He does one for each year of his life, so it's like 36 or something like that. I forget if we've established his actual age. That seems like a reasonable age for him, but I could just be projecting. Um, so anyway, he does, he does like... I mean... He also, like, has no idea how long he's been here. So let's say he does 40. He does 40 shows. He's still sort of clinging to the Earth timeline. And he's like, well, if things were going linearly, I would probably be 40. So let's just call it a flat 40. So he does the show 40 times. And by the 37th show, he's starting to get a little impatient with it, with the material itself, and is also finding himself less enthusiastic about the response. Like, as people become more, as there are bigger crowds and better responses, his enthusiasm for it flags a bit. So, like, the 40th show is not great. Like, it's not even as good as the first show. It's not the worst. Number 22, you know what I'm saying? Um, but... By the time he gets to the last show, he's just sort of glad to be done with it, and he he's he's ready to get out of the limelight, um, such as it is. Even his small fame is sort of vexing, but he he deals with it. I imagine there's some sort of otherworldly journalist or something like that. Maybe it's this like. Uh, weirdly ancient thing, like it's some sort of like masked god that is it calls itself a scribe or something. It's like writing everything down on wax tablets and then it like gives out the wax tablets itself since there's no like broadcast system. Um, or, you know, whatever kind of weird journalistic equivalent. 
journalism adjacent <laughs> type thing there is. Fergus is like enduring these interviews and that sort of thing. This, you know, these strange fig. I mean, there's probably like actual reporters from parallel earths or things like that, that are coming around. It's like, Oh, you know, are you the new, are you trying to be the new big entertainer for eminence present? Are you, um, you know, is this your, is this your way of saying you want to go back? Are you like trying to convince eminence present to send you back by putting on this beautiful nuanced portrait of your world or whatever? And, um, Fergus has sort of given himself a script for these purposes. He's just like, my work is about my world. It's not about me. Even though it's highly personal, it's about the earth that I grew up in, the place that I came from. A world is too big to capture in a single performance. I have captured a span of time on the planet earth in the country called the United States and so on and so forth. So he's just like, no, you know, like, don't, don't read too much into it. Stick to the text. That's what I'm interested in. Not trying to upend anything here. He's like, I'm a newcomer. I'm grateful, whatever. But there's probably one, you know, version of this encounter that becomes the final one. Maybe it's this like weird mask God thing. That's like, explain yourself. Or, you know, something like, um, why have you made this art? <laughs> I don't know. And he, he loses his temper a bit. And, um, he, uh, tries to use his powers on it. Um, maybe it's not that thing. Maybe it's some other, like, more humanoid, more immediately, um, recognizable to him as a person. But some some journalist finally gets to him, and he, if he can, he he uses his mind control on it to uh, rewrite its its account of the interview in a way that's very embarrassing to the journalist. It's basically like, and then I asked him a very dumb question, and I was rude, and he graciously forgave me. You know, like it, he he rewrites this journalist's account of the interview in a way that makes the journalist look like an asshole. And after that, he, uh, he finds a secluded area and stays there and gets away from everybody for a while. So, you know, with his initial satisfaction waning and, uh, the fact that he has these sort of mysteries around, like, who was this guy that he spoke to when he was in quarantine? Why won't Eminence Presence, Eminence Present talk to him? when it was like lobbying so hard to recruit him at first, he, um, he stays in, in solitude for a while, just in a funk, you know, hiding from everyone. And then he starts to really carefully explore this world. He's like, he, like, goes to the edge. You know, he finds a wall, basically, and follows it around. Like, he wants to map out the territory that he's in, get a sense of its scale, and 
where he can, you know, if there's like a do not enter utility closet type thing. He's going to try and go in there. He's going to really try and figure this place out, including the guts. You know, not just like look at the storefronts, but go to the maintenance area, go to the loading dock, see what makes the place tick, if he can. Um, he totally shuns Liraz and anyone else like her who sort of works for Eminence Present. He'll just, he'll just, he'll just leave if they approach him. You know, after the couple of encounters where she's like, oh no, I can't tell you anything, or he'll summon you when he's ready, he's like, fuck that. Um, she almost, she almost successfully appealed to his worldview when she said, think of it as an audition. But he's just like, no, I have to find out what this place is for myself. I have to figure out how things work. So he's trying that. He's like exploring the area. Um, especially if he can find where the quarantine area is, he's going to poke around there real sneaky, real hard. Like, he really wants to know how that works, how people come and go from it, how somebody could have been in there. Like, if it's even possible, somebody could have been in there and Liraz could have been unaware of it. Um, because if that is possible, then she isn't necessarily lying to him. Um, but... After a while, well, okay, let me put this, let me phrase this differently. If his explorations don't turn up anything interesting, or if he's stopped from exploring, um, you know, if like cosmic demon guards show up and they're like, bro, get out of here, bro, uh, then he's gonna fret for a while and then start writing a new script and let other beings in this world that liked his first work know that he's writing a new script and he's going to introduce them to the concept of interactive theater. And he's going to say that he's writing a show that will involve all of them. If they're like, oh, is it another one-man show? Or like, what are your new puppets going to look like? Um, he's going to say, it's, it's a it's an all-person show, and if someone asks him, what do your new puppets look like, he's going to have a mirror with him, and he'll just telekinetically raise it up. He's like, you're the cast, all of you. Um, he's using words like immersive, participation, you know, that kind of thing. So he's going to start, like, advertising this idea that he's going to make a new show and that it is, like, crowd-driven in some way. Um, what he's really trying to do, you know, like, as fans or other, other artists or journalists ask him about it, he's going to subtly test his mind control on them and see who he can and can't get to. And maybe also try to figure out why. Are there certain types of consciousness that are inaccessible to him? You know, um, are there like species or uh, whatever, like classes of beings that are just too powerful for him to interact with or anything like that? 
but he's not gonna really make them do anything. He's just gonna see if he can, if he can get in there and do like one little thing, like make them blink, make them put down an object and then just like let it drop. His power is subtle enough now that I think he can um, do that without leaving a, a trace. I mean, I, I think I bought subtle a couple of times, so people wouldn't even necessarily know that he had done it. Um, he's also interested in, like, um, the technology that's out there, because now he has the ability to use machines as his puppets as well. And he's, like, also testing out what kinds of technology he can do that with. Basically, the quick summary of this if-then is, if his explorations get him nowhere, then he starts preparing to do something a little more bold, which will really get Eminence Presence's attention. Eminence Presence attention. Which is like, I'm gonna stage another show, and I'm gonna use your whole fucking little world as my cast and my props. Um, you better pay attention to me. Um, on the other hand, if his explorations turn up something useful, then I'm sure you'll tell me what it is, and we'll figure that out as we go. Or age-wise, for Fergus, we had kind of figured, uh, when I, I did the math and everything, he's probably now somewhere in his mid-40s, give or take, because... When the original story arc started, he was in his, uh, I think he was like 32 or something like that, and a year or two happened in Chicago, and then uh, there was the five-year period uh, before the this game, then before the podcast started, and uh, then, you know, it was a couple months uh, for Fergus. And then another five years. So yeah, he's he's in his early to, to mid-40s. And yeah, so you do your show and you've got a bit of a fan base. You notice that there's a couple of these beans that kind of show up to every show. or Actually, there's just one that shows up to every single one and a couple that show up to some more. And... Uh, to your, I'll, I'll let you decide if it's positive or negative for Fergus, but at first people start kind of, uh, talking along with the, this script and then it almost turns into, a uh, not quite Rocky horror thing, but there's like certain parts or whatever where people kind of come up with, uh, strange little crowd specific add-ons you know you'll the feeding of one eye or something like that and people be like hey! and you know just just like different key points and uh where you defeat blowhard there's like uh you know this water creature like splashes the crowd or whatever it's I'll, I'll, I'll let you decide as to, to how you handle that. Um, but it's one of those deals kind of like 
the more you fight it, the more it encourages them if you decide to fight it kind of deal. So you finish your last show and just the last puppet drops and people are clapping and I don't know if you announced if, if word got out, um, but it's, it's kind of a mixed crowd. It's definitely not the largest and uh, it's not the smallest it's been either. Uh, definitely waned in the late twenties, early thirties count of your show. And it's, it's started to pick back up a little bit, not much, but a little, and just kind of in disgust, you let that last puppet drop and shoot off into the sky and outside of, uh, what you've started to call the city and into the, you know, quote countryside and you're kind of skirting around and there's not days, there's, there's night and day, but it's not like any particular set amount of time or anything like that. It almost seems borrowed like everything else here. And you, you fly off at dusk and fairly quickly dawn comes and you know this you started to see that there's a beauty in this landscape this environment that you're in and i'm not sure how fergus would probably know this and uh, I, I think you're you're probably at least somewhat familiar with the uh, artistic idea of, oh my gosh, of course I started talking about it and it completely left my brain, uh, tonal value, where even if something is a different color, like if you're painting grass and you're doing green or whatever, you can throw uh, red or blue or some kind of color that grass isn't uh, in with it but it still makes sense like you your brain still interprets it as long as it's the right uh, gradation the the correct value that's what I'm looking for the value of uh, red it'll it'll match with the green and and make sense and that's especially from this high up that's kind of how you see this like it does start to make sense the more you're in this environment. Uh, there's a beauty, there's a rhyme to it. If you don't try to analyze every single little part and look at it as a whole, then you see this whole picture instead of this mishmashed, put-together mess of things. But you're flying to a part that you've kind of never been to before. Often, you know, you're trying to find an edge and you see it kind of sticks out. Actually, it really sticks out because this little spot of land, it's probably about a quarter mile, eighth of a mile across. Uh, it doesn't look like any of that. It's, it's this consistent 
rolling, like grassy knoll kind of dill. And uh, it's got a small little stream running through it that kind of abruptly ends at its at its border and you just kind of stop there and even though you don't need to you kind of lay down in the grass looking up at the sky and you've already learned because you've had this experience because the curiosity that Fergus naturally has and uh, you don't let your you don't let your eyes stay long on the sky because even though you're not looking out into some sucking void or anything, you if your eyes linger there for more than a, a second or two, you can feel something predatory crawling its way towards you, slinking, uh, some terrible awfulness that's kind of beyond your your kin even at this moment. But you just kind of do the equivalent of closing your eyes. And you hear a, a voice in your head. Usually if anything's around you, you can automatically sense it. But this actually kind of surprises you a little bit. It says, what do? And it's a, it's a slightly feminine voice and... Uh, you kind of search around for it and you realize that it's coming from under the ground and uh, you kind of analyze it for a minute and realize that you didn't sense it because it was just coming from a direction that you're usually that you're not used to um, but also maybe it was dormant like you get a sense that it's kind of waking up and it kind of continues on it says who you and it's got kind of this very base style language and you you know you kind of answer you know either fergus or puppeteer and you know however much information that you divulge and and slowly this this form kind of starts to to grow up out of the ground, formed out of uh, grass and dirt and everything, and it's a it's a vaguely humanoid shape. It looks somewhat uh, effeminate, and you know it's got this long cascading moss hair going down it. You know, the longer you're there, the more refined it gets, but it starts very rudimentary. And at first you kind of assume that maybe this is just a, a base intelligence as well. But the longer you're, it, you kind of sit there and maybe out of curiosity or boredom, you, fascination, possibly you wanted to be left alone, but this uh, unique individual, even among what you've uh, witnessed, uh, you realize that even though its language is based, or its language is base, um, it doesn't. It is rather intelligent. It cocks its head towards you and or to the side, and just like psionic phenomenon. 
How about? How come? Presents bring, like others. Fight, stay. I stay. I fight. I become. And it kind of goes on like that. This this kind of halting, like I said, bass language. Mm, I guess eventually, you know, Fergus would either come to the end of the conversation or grow uh, bored after they got more information. If if there's something particular you want to ask it or whatever, let me know and we can backtrack to it. But I think something about this this organism kind of fascinates Fergus. Um, maybe as to why it's not in the city with the others, how it's out on this, this borderland by itself. Um, but you kind of find solace or camaraderie with this uh, being. To a certain extent, it's just something kind of in your guts. Uh, the guts that you don't have anymore. You kind of, in between going and visiting this, you also are, are kind of snooping around. It doesn't seem like there's anywhere that's really off limits except for the beings that live there, the, the places that they've decided to call home, you know, either their apartments or uh, the landscape or parks or whatever. So, you know, if you try to go in there, you know, physical barriers don't matter to you anymore. Like, you travel straight through physical matter now. Um, energy barriers and everything, like if there are those, then... And there there are a couple, but they seem to be, like, kind of piecemealed together, uh, like a lot of this other stuff. Uh, and, and you don't really run into anybody that's like... Anybody else besides Liraz that's like, yes, I totally serve... Uh, eminence present there's a couple people that are like no I, I have given myself a job just out of something to do blah 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 you know like I said there's a couple of people that uh, cook and, and everything and, and you meet you also meet a couple of soldiers which I guess they would kind of say that they serve him but or serve them but it's more of a some of them are more begrudging, hoping just to get uh, back to their world. And some of them are just there because they like to fight. And then, you know, a couple of them are like, no, I totally believe in in this fight. Like, I think it's it's important. Like, come on, this is a, a, a cosmic battle through time and space. How can you not be excited about this? And you meet individuals in this, this army that... And there's no like formal uniform or anything like that. Like you can't walk down the street and differentiate between who is and who isn't. Because uh, you meet some creatures, like you meet this giant colossal uh, worm type creature that you can speak with. That is just like physically imposing and, and you get a sense of like all these powers that it has. But it has zero interest in fighting and then you meet some people that are part of this that look like normal Joe Schmoes with no powers whatsoever. 
you know, but they're, they're, they're learning some type of martial skill or something like that. And some of them just have no talent for it, but you know, eminence present assured them that they had a, a place in this world. You meet a, uh, individual that's, um, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe him. You, you, you meet someone that's kind of blocky uh, in their appearance. Like instead of, they have almost angled marks, like even on their arms and arms and legs. And, uh, their name is Buta. B-U-T-A-H. A-H. Buta. Yeah, the they look pretty humanoid. I said, except for like I said, these these features they almost look um, Lego Man esque uh, in dimensions. Uh, but they seem to be trying to recruit you. Like they saw your uh, your show a few times, and I was I was very impressed. So. I think it would be, I think it would be great if you could come and join. We, we, you, you talked about your powers and and the depths of them and everything. So, you would be a, a great, great ally to to their eminence. And he 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 tries to give you the hard sell. And I'm just going to give you the, these events, and then you can zoom in on on any of this stuff that you you want and then um lastly because i i kind of want you to think about these three things before we start talking about the possibility of of the play of using all these people um you you go back to the quarantine zone and uh, there's no crazy guards there or anything that are that are blocking you so you just kind of face through the door and go down the, the hallway. It's not hard for you to find. Also, as a side note, uh, you try to find some type of information as to um, who or what may have been there. So this Bernard, but no one, everyone just kind of is like, go talk to Lyra. It's like, that's her thing. Like, that's what she does. Nobody else kind of handles this whole quarantine introduction type deal. Uh, very few people have have an interest in it. Uh, they figure they'll eventually run into any newcomers later and get to know them if they're interested. But you get there, and um, Liraz is actually kind of there's there's nobody in the the cells that are there. But you do see Liraz, and they're kind of poking around in the. Uh, cell that was next to yours where you heard Bernard talking she she turns around oh hello hello Fergus what do you prefer puppeteer I am here to investigate the, the mystery of this Bernard I have been informed that you have been um, asking about this individual and uh, unfortunately I have not been able to find any clues, although um, it is very strange that I, I even asked their imminence and 
they said they were unaware of to the situation. I am worried that maybe past or future has found a way to infiltrate this this place, which would be rather unsettling. <laughs>